Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Latina Life. We are so excited for today's Super Latina. You might have seen, you've seen her in many films and TV shows. I mean, I can just list them. Everybody loves Raymond, Man with a Plan, Telenovela, with even Lagore. You probably heard of that. McFarlane USA, one of my favorite holiday movies, Noel. But I mean, I think she probably caught your eye as Detective Anna Perez in the Netflix dramedy, Dead to Me, starring alongside Christina Applegate. And let me just note, she earned a Screen Actors Guild Award nomination for Ensemble for that role, as well as an Imagen Award for Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy. So just so many just credentials under her name. Amazing. But okay, but before, before she paved her way, in the entertainment industry, she started her journey in Cincinnati, Ohio, where she attended the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, earning her MFA in theater performance. All right, we're going to get right to it. Please welcome to the show, everybody, Diana Maria Riva. Thank you Hi. so much. For Thank you. That was so lovely. Thank you. <laughs> we're so excited. We I'm love so having so Super Latinas on. <laughs> oh, I love just being in the company of any. So that's <laughs> <laughs> so true, right? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so let's start. There's so many questions that we have for you that I'm sure a lot of people want to know. And we just want to start from the beginning. Um, growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio, how was that for you? Because that's really where you started the fundamentals of your acting and schooling. So tell us about that. You know, they, you've heard that phrase, ni de aquí, ni de allá. Mm -hmm. um, neither from here, neither from there. And I do believe that that resonated with me in my life, in my childhood, and where I grew up. Um, I was first, I'm first generation. My mother's from the Dominican Republic. And I grew up in a house where I spoke Spanish was my first language because my grandparents uh, lived there. And um, they, but the wonderful gift was is that my mother kept sending me with my grandparents back to the Dominican Republic every summer vacation, every summer of my childhood, my young adult life through college. And that kept the culture and the language and the relationships with my family very much alive and close. In Cincinnati at the time though, there wasn't a big Latino pop, uh, population. Mm -hmm. So I did struggle f feeling uh, I don't know if it was comfortable in my skin or comfortable in my culture. I didn't know what, how to identify. Um, I was the only one I knew at my elementary school who spoke two languages. I was the only one I knew who would go to the Caribbean for the summer vacation to go be with other family. And I was the only one in that neighborhood who had hair like this. Um, you know, all those things that can, and when you're, when you're young and, and it does it all through life can really make you feel like you're not a part of, um, and it wasn't even how I was treated as much as how I treated myself. I, I wanted you, you want to assimilate. I wanted to look like everybody else. And, um, I, but I did love my culture. I loved my roots and I'm forever grateful that my, my mother encouraged me to go. And I was very close to my mommy named Papito and went going down back to, to the Dominican Republic. And I'm, I will never, um, you know, regret spending all those summers there because I think I just found my position and my place in my world was that I am a both. 
You cannot negate one over the other. You can't dilute one for the other. They live in me simultaneously in the way I see things, the way I respond to things. It could be either from the way I was raised in um, this part, that part of the country to the way my soul and my energy reacts because of the women that were around me. You know, that it was something that I had to find. I had to really sink into and find, and it took me a while, but, um, it was, it was a journey that I felt made me who I am today, clearly. Mm-hmm. Well, you're speaking my language because I feel like we definitely grew up very similarly. My family, my mom, I knew nothing but to go to South America ever, since I was a child to mm-hmm. Bolivia. And mm-hmm. I just was like you, you know what I mean? Like I never did summer camp. I just was the only kid who was like, okay, bye guys. I'll see you at the end of the summer. And then still trying to identify as I got older, like, wait, what do you mean you don't have salteñas for breakfast? You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. So um, definitely that completely resonates and stuff. And how about when you started getting older in school? Like what made you stay in Ohio and not go to school in one of the coasts? Well, um, I think it was limited options. I went to an all-girl Catholic high school, you know, and there was not a lot of theater, not a lot of arts. And I had to go to other neighboring high schools to get any um, theater experience in. Um, when I auditioned to get into the College Conservatory of Music, into their drama department, um, I was very green. There were, were kids coming from performing arts high schools from all over the country. They had the pick of the litter. And they asked me, my professors asked me at the time, they said, what if we tell you you're not going to be ready to perform for the first year, year and a half, that you're gonna have to really just kind of dive into the training. And I said, I have so much faith in this theater, I will do whatever you ask. And they said that they could see that I had passion and desire and they just gambled on me. So I went with the, not the only offer that I got, but very few. But it also happened to be that the College Conservatory of Music, CCM, is world-renowned for many of their departments, for many of their performing arts departments. The theater department, the, the drama department was much younger, but I knew the pedigree and the people that worked there, and I knew that um, I would get good training. So I stayed there because that was the that was the only choice, really, and it paid off. That's the big news, is that I continue to go back and mentor um, and, and work with the students, especially a lot of them when they graduate and come out here. Um, so it was, it, it was worth it. (laughs) I love that. That's amazing. You know what, you were talking about, um, you know, not being from here or from there and, you know, of course, trying to assimilate, you know, in the community. And I can totally relate to that. I mean, I went, I went to Beverly high, Beverly Hills high school here. So, um, there weren't any Latinos or Latinas. Everyone thought I was Persian. I mean, that just, it was like, that was the first thing that came to mind because there's a big Persian population. Um, but, and of course it was like, at that point, it was like thin, Kate Moss, be blonde. That's why I've used the light in my hair thing. I mean, I just feel like I'm really starting to embrace my curves now in life. You know, thank you, Jennifer Lopez, right? For paving hundred percent, hundred percent. Absolutely. I, first, I suppose the first time I've heard that said in a long time, but I, yes, I agree with what yeah. you so was it like that? Was that similar for you in, in Cincinnati growing up? Yeah, I think it was just that there was a, a way of um, 
you know, there were there were people there that were doing good things and studying wonderful careers and going on to, down to a path that was far more traditional mm-hmm. than what the, the school that I was graduating from was telling me to do. Like my high school was not encouraging me to go pursue the arts mm-hmm. because it just wasn't an art, you know, an art based high school it was very academic. However, they did give me a lot of discipline, academic discipline that helped me, you know, with the rigor of the theater program that I was in, because uh, it was not for the faint of heart. It was it was uh, it was it was difficult. Um, but I think that I, if I had had this self, this kind of self-confidence in every area of my life, I, I can't imagine what I would have experienced in life because I have a lot of vulnerabilities and I have weaknesses but there was something in me that just decided I'm going to be an actor and it wasn't an ego it's just like yeah okay done decided now what do I do I don't know why um it's not like you know out here in Los Angeles a kid will get up and say that every day of the week it is very common out here but in Cincinnati kids didn't get wake up and say I'm just going to be an actor Mm -hmm. I got lucky that when my grandmother took me to see the Broadway tour of Annie it came into town I was around 11, 12 years old, went to see the play, and here I saw these girls that were my age, all on stage, singing and dancing and having this amazing experience. And I had already loved the theater, but I didn't know I loved it that much. And I remember driving home with my grandmother that night, and I said, that's it, I'm gonna be an actor. And she said, okay. And then I came home and I told my parents, and they said, okay, but you're gonna get your education. You're not just going to drop everything and go move to some other state. And that was the smartest thing that they could have told me because it's a very competitive and cutthroat business. It can be. So they were just wanting me to get as ready and prepared as possible. And because I had no training. So once I had the okays and the okays and the, the affirmation, then I just dove in the rest of the way with my confidence of this is what I want. This is this is this is what I want. This is what I want to get. I don't. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I I had majored in theater. I did not study any any television and film. That came slightly uh, by accident, mm-hmm. but um, it all that foundation completely helped and prepared me for it. Now you mentioned going to see Annie on Broadway, and I would take it. I mean, back then, you know, a few some years ago, the representation of Latinas probably wasn't as strong. Oh, I no. mean, in regards, right? So. Um, was it that much more challenging for you going into the theater business and getting into the entertainment industry, you know, as Latina, as a, someone from the Dominican Republic, you know, background, mm-hmm. um, what were the challenges that you faced? Well, I will say this. Um, it was very challenging. They did not know how to cast me in a lot of those plays. I had, I had professors there that truly believed in my, my, my work, but they weren't, they didn't know where I, fe- I would fit in, in these roles. And there were, I didn't get in a play for a long time and the roles were nothing that I could really kind of just dive into. Mm -hmm. They were, no matter how old or how much seniority I had, it didn't mean anything. I remember them doing the house of Benarla Alba. And this is about a matriarch, a Spanish matriarch and her five daughters. And I, there was not one Latina in the entire play, but me, and it was the the um, the homeless woman on the street who comes in and asks for bread and leaves. However, I was asked to be a dialect coach for all of the other actresses in it. So I remember thinking, I think it's a little interesting that you, you have enough faith in me to be a dialect coach, but you don't have enough faith in me to be one of these five daughters in this beautiful script, in this beautiful play. And, um, I don't know why I didn't let that beat me down. I'm glad I didn't. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just kept getting back up and auditioning for something else and then auditioning for something else. And then I have to say, I ended up playing um, Big Mama on Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. First of all, I was not, you know, no one's the right enough, the, 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 the right age for roles like that when they're in college. But this was a huge white, but this was a big white Southern woman. And I got cast. And that's what I want. I wanted to just be able to, not just the house of Bernadette. I want to be on Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I want to be in um, Julius Caesar. I want to be in, you know, a Renaissance woman. I want to be all those things. So I wanted to dive into all those characters. So I just never let it stop me. I just kept going. I just kept going. And, and I, you know, my, I, I credit my mother a lot for that. She, she would always say, and she still does to this day, just keep going. What do they know? Keep going. And I do. We do. We're, you know, we're the girls in my family. I have one of three sisters and we're just kind of unrelenting in that way. We don't stop at the first no. I I feel like as Latinas, we have to do that. You know what I mean? Because I feel like it's just ingrained in us from our mothers and our family that it's like, we're strong in that sense. Like we are very strong. And it is our responsibility to pass that down to the, the, our children, especially our, our daughters, because society will notoriously uh, whittle that away. And, or just the compare and contrast that our young women are facing today, they'll whittle it away themselves. It's not even other people doing it to them. And I had, you you know, we were talking before this about my daughter just graduating from high school. There was a moment there where she, the nerves were getting to her and she was saying, what if I don't get in college? And I was like, and this was her choice. She wants to go to school. And Mm -hmm. I said, let me tell you something. You are, and I got into this big tragedy, you are the great-granddaughter of Luis Riva that escaped a dictatorship and came to this country. And your grandmother did too, Maria Riva. And your mother. I didn't escape a dictatorship, but if I had stopped at every no, I wouldn't be sitting here working on this show this many years later in this business and be able to call it a career. So yeah. we don't stop at the first no. We don't stop at the first, you know, the, the first seeming roadblock. We keep going. And we have to continue to pass that torch. It's, it's our job. Yeah, no, it's our job. Absolutely. I mean, I think the three of us have daughters, my daughter's in her twenties and, you know, she has, she's right now, like, do I believe in myself? Is this good enough? Am I getting, and I, and I'm just like, you got to do it. So it's definitely ingrained in us to be strong and be fighters, but let's talk about your big break. (laughs) <laughs> which I'm very interested in. Um, Jen and I were talking about this and we're like, how does ABC discover you? Exactly. How does that happen? Exactly. So please tell us. It was, it was serendipitous, but it was also like everything coming, you know, in alignment. The last year of my graduate studies at CCM, uh, I had interned at a small theater in Cincinnati called the Ensemble Theater Cincinnati. It just so happens that a playwright named Michael Weller was bringing in one of his new plays that he wanted, for whatever reason, very successful playwright, he wanted to debut it at this little theater. The lead role of this story, of the play, was this little comedic Latina nanny. And I, you know, interns were not cast in shows. We did all the behind the scenes, but as a part of like practice and and, um, getting ready for this life, we all had to audition. So he brought in a director named David Schweitzer, and he was from out Los, from here in Los Angeles. And when I auditioned for the role, I guess he asked, like, he wanted to cast me. And they said, well, she's, she's not available. I'm like, why? She's an intern. We don't cast interns. He goes, she's the one right for the role. And by the way, you know, I was the only Latina that they were looking at 
for that role. So they they bend the rules and they let me do this role, which was the most gratifying role ever. And a year later, the playwright, after I graduated, Michael Weller brought it out to Los Angeles and recast the rest of the cast. And we did it out here for three months. And in that time, ABC found me and put me on a series. And it was it was a very quick, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm gonna go back and go to New York. I think I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna work in television and film and I don't know anything about it. <laughs> and so it was like a quick overnight uh, situation with television and film, but all the work, I had been doing the work for years, uh, you know, getting there, the training, the auditioning, turn down and, uh, and all of that. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. How, yeah. I mean, that's just like fate though, right? Because you it were was. at the right place at the right time. And Very much. they also saw something in you because they saw that you were the right fit for the character opposed to years before. So that's, yes. that's pretty amazing. Yes, yes. And this is why we keep going. We keep exactly. going. <laughs> exactly. And so that brings us to this other question, you know, just in regards to your thoughts about how you think the roles for Latinas specifically have evolved over the past year. Sometimes we feel like we're seeing progress, but I mean, I was just reading actually even Lagoria's um, comments at the Produced By conference where mm -hmm. she's suggesting to have a database of diverse talent to counter what was it? Producers or directors saying they can't find they can't find the candidate. Oh, for it. Yeah, absolutely. I had a an executive producer that I had worked with on some project, some television show years ago, reach out to to get a hold of me, and he said, "I my producing partner and I have just created this series because we're under contract with this studio. Can you suggest to us some Latina writers?" I'm like, I can't believe. It. Okay, and I. <laughs> We went to, I went to all the Latina producers that I know, and I say, "What do I give him?" And she's, and one of them said, "There is a database of Latina writers um, that are newer in the business." And I forwarded him this big, this link and this big list, and they did indeed hire two women. And then he, and then he's come back and said, "What about Latina directors?" I'm like, "Okay, we're here. We're not under a rock. So we, we, we have." Well, whatever else we need, whatever platforms we need. And I agree with Eva, something where if we can Google everything else, then Google this and find it. Let's just put it out there instead of, you know, wasting time, let's just do it so that it's not this coming by way of asking me and I'm asking this person and I, you know, that, that, that whole telephone game. Right, exactly. And like by having that, actually your introductions, like to all these different directors and writers, I mean, yes. that impacts the industry because then you see more representation. Of a thousand stuff. percent. We, it's, 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 it's been much more noticeable in the last couple of years, uh, shooting Gordita, shooting Dead to Me. How many, first of all, how many uh, women directors there are out there that I didn't know. And I've been working here for a minute and I've done a lot of shows and I was like, where have you been? And I'm just like, I know we are past having crossed, but it's been lack of opportunity. So now that the opportunity is leveling out a little bit better then we're seeing them, uh, their faces and it, it's, and it goes with the show too. We appeal to the Latino community to tune in and watch the, these shows, our shows, because they are the the networks, the studios. They're looking to see if we watch, and if we do, and you and we show up in great numbers, then they get convinced to develop more. There is more. There's more of an audience out there that wants to see more of this. So, strength in numbers always. 
It's funny that you say that. We're like, whoa, we finally meet someone. What are you doing here? Why haven't we met? That's exactly how Malay and I felt when we met like three years ago. We're like, how come we never met? We both worked in this industry for decades and big shows, big, big networks. Mm -hmm. And then at the latest job, we saw each other and we were like instantly, because, you know, there's not that many Latina producers. Right. You know, there just isn't. And so when you find one another, you're like, oh, you know, yes, a connection. It's just the way that it is. And your latest project is connecting a lot of people. So you tell us all about Gordita Chronicles. Well, you know, you the 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 beautiful goal that you hope to to see happen or play out is that we have Latinos in front of and behind the camera. And this is one of those projects that is doing exactly that. And not just the Latino community, but it's Latinas are in front of behind the camera. So we have Zoe Salaña and her sisters, Cicely and Marisol, who are the executive producers of the show. They took it to HBO Max and 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 they bought it. So that was the first you know campaign that, that, that started. And then they, um, they went, well, well, Claudia, I'm sorry, Claudia Forestieri, who's, uh, created the show and the show is based on her life. She took it to those, the sisters, the Salanya sisters, and they went forward as a team and sold it together. So we've got, we've got now Latinas coming together and uplifting each other. Um, I auditioned and tested for the role and then it just got, keep getting better and better because then they tell us, oh, we're bringing Eva Longoria to direct the show. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is just, you know, amazing because I know what she's like as a director. I know what she's like as an executive producer. So I knew that this continues to follow the hands. Also, our showrunner, Bridget Munoz, who is um, Colombiana. And it's, we have a showrunner, a show creator, four executive producers. They're all Latinas. And then here we are in front of the screen, a beautiful uh, Latino family. So it's, this is what you dream about. You hope for more of this. You see more of yourselves. You under you you feel like there's something that you can relate to, and we've got it. It's it's there on the air. It's not like it hasn't been done before, but we want to see it, and we want to see it stick, and we mm-hmm. want to see it last, and then more made. Yes, absolutely. And Thank so, you. okay, just to set it up for people who haven't seen the show show yeah. yet. So it's about a family of four coming from the Dominican Republic in 1985. Yes. to um, Miami um, yes. for the father of Victor's job, right? He's a VP of marketing, I think at an airline. Yeah, like um, an American Airlines kind of a thing, yes. American mm-hmm. Airlines kind of thing. And um, the family, you know, getting accustomed to all the American traditions, maybe not um, having a few surprises along the way. Yes. You know, as you would say, I actually was surprised by some of, I guess you would call it, microaggressions, I'm sure some people actually really faced in real life. Uh, you know, we were talking about the English only episode mm-hmm. um, and not to give away, you know, any spoilers or anything, but you know, there's some episodes about, uh, I, I found really interesting that it was done, this is where the youngest daughter who's getting yeah. used to speaking English, right? But Spanish comes out occasionally, um, you know, how to face a rubber man in school. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was English only speaking. And so it was just really interesting to me that some of these topics were addressed because I guess I was surprised. I've never really seen it addressed in such a candid way. It is candid. And I think that's the key word here, that it's not, 
We're not beating anyone over the head with um, a brick to understand what, you know, the journey has been like. We're just not, um, we're not ignoring it. We're not ignoring mm -hmm. that it happened. Yeah. It still happens. We're not ignoring that, um, that this is a lot of people's story. I mean, I, I have, I have talked to my mother on many occasions who, uh, when they came here, she was entering, I think her sophomore, junior year of high school, which was so intimidating. And there were all, all, she faced all those kinds of things, all those sorts of microaggressions with her accent or with, you know, and with the language. Um, and there, it was about quickly adapting. Um, and, uh, I do think that in Gordita Chronicles, you get the family story, you get the kids story, um, you know, the two girls, a, a tween and a teen trying to find their place in this new high school when they came from the private little Catholic school in, in Santo Domingo. And now here they are in a public high school in the eighties. And it just, it's mind blowing for anybody, by the way, you know, if you went from a small school to something this big, um, for Victor who tries to find his place, um, at work, he they had a they had a good life in the Dominican Republic. He made a good living and they lived very well. And so there was a lot of assumption as to what that the American dream was going to be bigger and more glamorous and more everything. At least Adela, my character thought so. <laughs> Everybody kind of did. And so they're all a little shocked when Victor goes to work and he just wants his boss to get his name right. Yes. And yes. he doesn't. He's calling him somebody else's name. Right, and right. That is like the little microaggressions that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do feel that Claudia and Bridget and our the 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 entire um, talented group of writers did this in a very beautiful way. They told that story without, um, you know, they just told it in a way that allows you to swallow and accept that this is what happens and it happens today. So let's just look at it like in this way, in this family setting, in this fun, very comedic setting. And by the way, the eighties is an entire character in and of itself. Like it, it is just a throwback for most, you know, anyone who watches it and was a part of that decade. And <laughs> if not, it's just, it's just hilarious for young people to see these fashions that are <laughs> making a comeback by the way. And, um, and it's just, so we, we do, we do tap, into those and just one season you know we've only done the first 10 episodes but yeah. you do see us tapping into those those um moments and i love the fact too what we both did discussing it that um you see the different perspectives from each family over so specifically yeah. you adela right because yeah. we do see the kids but then also you as well and how you are your character and how well you're adapting to it or not adapting to it, or like the social um you know mix-ups like oh. cafecito you know that mix up right yeah. <laughs> they're like oh my god I forgot to offer the worst in the world. Yes, like it's a cardinal sin that she forgot to offer coffee, and 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 I think that that's the one of the universal elements is that it's not just the girls adapting to a new school, but it's also this grown man adapting to his new workplace. It's also this grown woman like trying to make friends as if she were in a new school and thirteen herself. She's yes. now in an apartment. She had this beautiful big home in the Dominican Republic with a staff and everything, and then she comes here and she's in an apartment she's doing her own laundry she's trying to make coffee in an automatic coffee machine which is a complete foreign <laughs> idea to her and and the one thing that should be easy is to make friends with other latinas in her little uh, apartment complex and it's incredibly difficult she might as well be a 13 year old just trying to break into the cool group gang and mm -hmm. and go through all of those nightmares as a grown woman yeah. and i think that's where i what i love um, about the universal element is that you don't have to be 
you don't have to have had a background of moving from you know uh, you know another country to here, little island, to this big city and whatnot. It's it's the story of finding your place when you go to a new job, a new school, a new neighborhood, a new group, whatever it is, and it's and trying to find where you fit in. Not because you've told me this is where you fit in or don't fit in, but where you fit in with your heart and soul, and you feel like you haven't um, compromised who you who you are what you believe in and and you know that is we see them going through that but i what i've been hearing is the people who have, have watched it have said you know i i, I can um I, I know what that's like to a certain degree i remember when um in the fifth grade we moved from to one city to another because my dad you know got a better job or whatever and i started a new school and it took me forever and that one kid that came and sat with me at the lunch table where we you it just taps into all that history of you know have you ever struggled to fit in yeah absolutely so you said everyone you didn't have to be latina to relate to this story no no we've all had most of us have gone through some kind of change some kind of chap new chapter in their life at some age in their life at some stage when i when I, when i was told that i was going to come out here to do that play I had never stepped foot in, I had been to San Francisco. I'd never stepped foot in Los Angeles and television and film were so uh, foreign to me and working in it. So I, I had, I was overwhelmed at the size of the billboards out here. I'm like, the billboards are so huge. Like everything was just big and glittery and it intimidated me. And by the way, at the time, if I filled out um, a statistics form or like a census form in, in, in Ohio, the options were white, black, other. Yeah. Right out here, there were seven choices for la Latino, non-white, white, Chicano, non-white. And I was like, I got overwhelmed. Like, I don't know. Like I had never, it was white, black, other when I was growing up in Ohio. So yeah. it was all like, now do I, I do fit in here, right? And I, and I did in that, I felt a little bit more like it's such a diverse city. But I went through those fears and insecurities. I went through that 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 feeling of, am I enough? Am I? What do I need? Do I need more? And yeah, leaned into that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great, you're doing. This is fantastic. It's working. <laughs> it's working. It's working. Another show that I know we do want to talk to you about. You know, Dead to Me. You mentioned that you earned a Imahan Award for that. Congratulations on that. And obviously, the, the SAG Award nominations. Um, and we've got a really great fan here, Melena. So yeah, no, I love that show. It's so fun. It's so fun how like now that I'm speaking to you, a little bit of you is definitely in that character. You're so <laughs> persistent. You know what I mean? Am I come off that angry? <laughs> no, not at all. No, no, no. But you know, you're gonna get the truth. Yeah, I keep saying that my whole hashtag for is hashtag poor Perez. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're going to find out where they put the body. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter. So, But it's so fun. And you've worked with so many different actresses and, and directors and producers. What kind of advice do you have for Latina women of any age? Okay, we're not just talking about the girls that are trying to break in, but the yeah. ones that, you know, are already working, but haven't gotten, you know, their breakthrough. Yes, yes. I, you know, um, one of the things that I constantly tell my daughter who's not pursuing acting is I feel like she just needs to hear what, what young women need to know. And I always say that you are enough all the time, no matter what. You are enough all the time, no matter what. Because we will have people, places, things, jobs, 
relationships, uh, all those things come into life that will challenge you to think or believe that you aren't. And I always say to the young women that I talk to or to my daughter that the sooner you can connect with your self-worth and your and your and self-love honestly um the better decisions we make for us in life it's not be, that we're going you know we will we will find ourselves at crossroads we'll find ourselves at heartbreak but i do feel like we weather them far better if the better we are to ourselves and i do feel that <sighs> The sooner you can connect with how worthy you are of good things, good love, good people, a good life. And I'm not talking like riches and whatever. I'm just saying a good life, just where mm -hmm. you're whole, you're complete. Um, the easier life will be. I'm not, but there will be roads, there will be times, there will be, there will be sadness, there will be hurt, but we will walk through them far better and come out the, on the other side of it the more connected we are to that strength of, of um, and, 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 and I really think it's important to that, that um, to young Latino women that we have to uplift and support each other. Yes. 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 In the same business, not in the same business and at the, at the workplace, at school, it doesn't mean we all have to be besties. It just means just uplift and support each other. And mm -hmm. that can come, you know, in, in many different ways, shapes and forms, but, the the more solidly we stand together, the more we'll be able to overcome. 100%. You couldn't have said that better. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we did this, because oh. we wanted to uplift and come together as a community and, and tell each other stories. Yes. Because I feel like we need to have other women and, and people in your life who do uplift you, because sometimes you think you're so alone and you're really not. I totally agree. I totally agree. If it's it's um it's a small world. It's it's mm -hmm. not it's not as big as we think and it's amazing how um an an experience or a journey can really connect you to somebody else. You don't have to know them that well, but you find out that you walked um a few miles in that in that particular pair of shoes, then you can you can better identify with other people and find a support system that you know, you may not have had your whole life, but we need it. And and this is something that I, I really um, am grateful for about in, in growing up in my family. Being one of three sisters, we were raised to know how to be good to other women and how to be good friends to other women and, and be supportive. I To know how to be a woman to other women mm -hmm. is really important. And now more than ever in our life, and I, I mean, this is what happened when women finally won the right to vote. They banded together, they supported yeah. each other, they were there for each other, and, and with that, they moved a mountain. And I feel that is that is part of our lives all the time. When we, we had the Gordita premiere the other day, mm -hmm. and I don't know, uh, and it was a, a, um, a, a watching, and when I saw other Latinas show up, like Gloria Calderon Kellett and um, Francia Raisa, and I, I just, I, we do this all the time. We go and we watch it. But when they showed up, I just got overwhelmed with emotion because I'm like, this is what they, this is what you do. You support mm -hmm. me. I support you. We uplift each other. We, even if we were up for the same role, when I don't get it and you do, I am cheerleading you on all the way. Uh, and it's, it's, this is what, it, 
if we continue to do that with platforms like this, with Poderistas, with, mm -hmm. um, you know, even with um, um, anything that Dolores Huerta wants to talk about, I'll listen to, you know, all these things that, that bring us together, we, there's no stopping us. There's, there's yeah. no stopping us. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that overwhelming feeling that you felt, that sense of belonging to each yeah. other. And Absolutely. it's so rare that you do get that, you know, so that's why it's so wonderful. And that's why when I hope when, you know, you told your story about, you know, being, you know, asked to be the dialect coach, you know, and not even part of the role that someone out there hears that. And yeah. maybe they're in a similar position, you know, maybe not just give up. Yeah. Like yeah. forge forward, oh. you know. Absolutely. No, no, they, you don't get to decide when I give up. That is truly a moment of closure for me is when I decide mm -hmm. to let go. Mm -hmm. It's not when someone else tells me to. I'm not saying I won't take someone, somebody's input or suggestion because I, I do feel that sometimes our greatest asset is also our greatest defect. So the fact that I can really push and go for things and, 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 and not give up, not give up sometimes I question that um, that I don't let go when it's appropriate and time to let go because that is equally mm -hmm. as powerful when it's time to let go of something that isn't serving you, that isn't right or, or, or good for you. And I I do feel that there when you surround yourself with good, strong women um, or a good support system and they tell you, this is really getting to you, this is bringing you down, this is eating away at you, consider letting this go, then I listen, I take it in. So we're, you know, we can do it alone and we can do it together. I just prefer to, to be um, in a group. <laughs> Same here. That's why we're here yeah. all together. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, um, I mean, so much, obviously you've got the Gorita Chronicles, HBO, HBO Max, right? Everyone yes. can watch it there. Yeah. Everyone please tune in because it's a fantastic story. Anyone can like relate and find a character you feel really close to. And then just out of curiosity, I know it's June. I can't believe it's June, I but know. what do you have coming up? Like the rest of 2022, any other projects we should be keeping an eye out for? Well, we have, so, so Gorita's, uh, Gorita Chronicles, June 24th. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Dead to Me, season three, the final season is uh, being released this fall. Mm -hmm. uh, Netflix hasn't announced exactly what month, but this fall means this fall, and that has been confirmed. So, uh, and that was a wild ride. Um, and then there's a couple other th irons in the fire that once they get figured out, I, I can share about them but i think right now we're looking towards a season two for gordita and being back and <laughs> on the beautiful island of puerto rico to to film it and bring you another you know season of these this great family <laughs> gorgeous and wow. wonderful wow we just i mean we, i'm i'm speaking from melina we love speaking with you i know we're gonna have to thank have you, you on again so many more absolutely layers wow. to get into Thank and you. thank you for just being and representing, because oh. I have to tell you, it takes, it's a lot to put yourself out there and to be vulnerable. And you do that every time, you know, you get recorded and, or are on a stage. So, you know, we just have to thank you because you oh. represent us. Oh my gosh. And that is that, see, look at that. I started tearing up. It's an honor. It's a, it's a privilege. You know, I got into this business to be able to play a myriad of roles. I want to play all sorts of things, but to play someone this close to the vest and to, to, to represent a population in a community that I'm so endlessly proud of. It's, it is a gift. It's an honor. It's a responsibility. It's a privilege. And I, I can only assure you that I'm bringing every fiber of my heart and soul into it. So 
Thank you. For well, we feel that. it. We feel it. Absolutely. And we're so proud of you. We're so happy to see what you're doing and looking forward to seeing where you're going, all the other things you're going to accomplish. And, you know, para todas las Latinas out there, thank you so much for tuning in, for listening. Um, you know, stay tuned for more um, because we're going to have you on again. Yeah. Oh, Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias a ustedes. Bella. Besos a todos. Ok, igualmente. Bye. Bye. Bye.